really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. You can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So for any new listeners... The weekly show has a set format, which is this intro that you're listening to right now. Then we do current updates, which is just things happening in my own life. Uh, then we spotlight one piece of news from the week before moving on to thoughts of the week, which I imagine is pretty self-explanatory. So then we do our reviews of the most recent rugby action before giving a player the prestigious Diamond in the Ruck Award, which is essentially our MVP of the week. Then we quickly preview the coming week's action before signing off. The goal is for the show to be a half hour, though the bonus episodes tend to run much longer than that. In any case, there were three competitions getting back to it this weekend, so let's dive right in. So, starting with our current updates, and you know what? After my epic birthday weekend extravaganza, there's <laughs> there's precious little to chat about this week. Uh, one cool thing, though little side thing that we might want to, you know, continue talking about later. We'll see. So my partner baked a pavlova, which is not something I had ever before encountered. So I've talked about this a lot, but we have a six-year-old son. We all love watching the animated show Bluey. It's an excellent show, and it's helping him work on his Australian accent as well, which for me is a huge bonus. Uh, in, in the show, there's an episode called Pavlova, and that was literally the first time I'd ever heard that word, Though I feel like it has to also be the name of a tennis player somewhere. Uh, either way, it's a great episode. It totally put the idea of making one into my partner's head. And this week, it finally happened. Came out really great as well. And, you know, I don't even ordinarily care about meringues, but it was delicious. So, friends, this is the first time we've ventured into dessert chat here. So if you have any, you know, favorites or suggestions, get in touch and let me know. The weirder, the better. He's taking people have to know. Well, Isa, finding any good news in the world of rugby this week has been quite a challenge, that's for sure. However, I did find one juicy tidbit involving some actual consequences coming to Bernard Laporte. So quoting here from the BBC, quote, French rugby chief Bernard Laporte was detained by police on Tuesday as part of an investigation into tax fraud, say financial prosecutors. Laporte stepped back from his role earlier this month without resigning after being handed a two-year suspended prison sentence and a 75,000 euro fine for corruption. Um, hours after the verdict, the French Rugby Federation president also stepped down as vice chair of World Rugby Laporte was also banned from holding rugby positions for two years, but that is suspended pending an expected appeal. <laughs> Great. Another suspended sentence. So nearly 2,000 French rugby clubs are voting whether to accept the appointment of interim president Patrick Boisson. Um, by the way, that vote came in. The answer was no, we don't. Um, quote, he was summoned for questioning by tax authorities. He went there with a lawyer specializing in tax, unquote, one of Laporte's lawyers told French news agency AFP. Quote, it is perfectly scandalous. <laughs> 
<laughs> the prosecutors have chosen the date of Patrick Buisson's election for the questioning and that the disclosure of this questioning was made on the same day, unquote, he added. According to AFP, the court ruled that Laporte had showed favoritism in choosing Francis' uh, shirt sponsor. In March 2017, Laporte awarded a 1.8 million euro shirt sponsor contract to close friend Mohed Altrad, the billionaire owner of top 14 champions Montpellier. Altrad was given an 18-month suspended sentence and a 50,000 euro fine. As if both men deny any wrongdoing. Obviously. How dare you? Altrad's lawyer said, he would study the decision before deciding whether to appeal against it. In February of 2017, Laporte signed a 180,000 euro deal with Altrad Group for his image reproduction rights, and sponsors claim Laporte did not deliver the services paid for. Altrad's logo still features on Francis' shirts, with Laporte 58 negotiating a follow-up deal in 2018. Laporte, who coached France to the 2003 and 2007 World Cup semifinals, was also found guilty of intervening with a disciplinary action against Altrad's uh, club Montpellier. He was convicted of helping to reduce the fine against the, uh, against the club from 70,000 euros to 20,000 euros. In November, financial prosecutors searched the headquarters of France's 2023 World Cup organizers as part of a government inquiry into the management of the organizing committee, unquote. Ah, that dude has been made of inst indestructible armor for years now. So, you know, while I obviously still doubt anything real is actually going to happen, you know, the idea of him at least getting detained seemed like a bit of a bright spot in a very, very dark rugby landscape at the minute. Also, side note on Altrad, how hard do you think he laughed when they levied that 50,000 euro fine? Like, did he just pull it out of one of his pockets and throw it at them? Like, this is sand off a beach. Oh, my word. So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week are actually with the HSBC 7 Series. Yesterday, finishing up their so-called down under leg. So in Sydney this weekend after Hamilton the week prior, when you're already following three full-scale leagues, it's it's just not easy to also squeeze in 7's action. But then again, it only costs you like 15 minutes a game. So you know, that's if you feel like bopping in and out. But on top of that, the feed of my socials is pretty exclusively about 15s. So I generally don't have to worry about spoilers. That means I can put off the sevens until midweek, which is just like an extra little gift, you know? Plus, it's it's been so good. The Australia and the New Zealand women are just unbelievable. Watching the men and women of Fiji play is like an out-of-body experience. And not to be underestimated, the USA are really good at sevens. So far this season, we've had Hong Kong for the men, Dubai for men and women, Cape Town for both, and uh, now right in a row, Hamilton and Sydney, as I said, again, both for the uh, men and the women. If you have Peacock, which is very cheap, I have to say, you can rewatch all the action, which is so much fun. Nia Tapper, in particular, has been amazing for the U.S. women. Perry Baker, the veteran at 36, still tearing it up for our men. And it's just such a nice change to watch the USA play a style of rugby where they might actually win something on a global stage. Plus, we have a coach named Mike Friday, which sounds like a gumshoe detective from the Prohibition area, uh, area era. Uh, you know, that that none of this is a diss on my beloved Eagles 15s or anything. It's just it's enough already with the gut punch losses, you know? Either way, if you two have any spare time on a random weekend, check out these lovely tournaments and enjoy some incredible quick-paced rugby. It's it's a ton of fun. Even if you're not a big sevens person, believe me, it's worth watching just for the nut bar insane fans. It is a serious 
party each and every time. Okay, that brings us to our reviews as always. And starting with the top 14, it was round 16 on Saturday. We began with Lyon versus Clermont. The home team had lost four of their last five against Clermont, but the teams looked pretty evenly matched in the early stages. Lyon took advantage of a yellow to their guests to go ahead by a converted try and began to look dominant as things unfolded. Oh, Limosopoanga sighting. So when I first became uh, aware of Limosopoanga, it was with the All or Nothing series on the All Blacks. But that was, I mean... That was like eight years ago now, I guess. Uh, from there, he went to Wasps, was apparently utterly miserable, and quickly vamoosed over to France. But this this must be like the first, maybe second time I've seen him since then. Good to see you, buddy. Anyway, Leon looked very strong, winning 34-14 to when all was said and done. Then, Cast versus Bordeaux Begla. Oh my gosh, I admit. I totally missed it. It honestly just slipped through the cracks somehow. Kind of embarrassing since I've, you know, I've sort of hitched my wagon to the Border Beagles train. But I did check the score. Cast, they came out on top, though it was close. 23 to 18 for another home win for Cast. Um, then it was Bayonne versus Breve. This saw the home team slowly take control, just quietly building their lead while Breve settled for penalty kicks. 37 to 9 was the inflated score at the end. Breve just kind of checking out after the three quarter mark for sure. Uh, Perpignan versus Stade Francais was next up. And I swear, Stad, they must be the most inexplicable team on earth. Will they show up and mop the floor with you? Will they show up and constantly screw up the simplest things? Will they show up? Each and every week, these are the questions they have in tow. And this week, they went for the middle option. The home side were up a player in 17 points entering the final quarter, but give them credit, the Parisians kept fighting, and in the dying moments, they did have a shot at the draw. Perpignan bravely hung on, however, getting a, co- a coveted home win, 31-24. to 24. Nice one, that. So then, Toulon versus Poe. I mean, come on, this looked like a potential stinker, but Poe, Got the first two scores of the match, but as the rains came in, so did the home team's confidence. The ending was a classic for French rugby when the ref <laughs> the ref blew the whistle for a penalty, glanced at the clock, and was like, uh, ah, actually, no penalty. That that's plenty. That's the game, folks. Two twenty-seven to sixteen was your score at the end of that one. Racing 92 versus La Rochelle was up next. I haven't any idea what's up with Racing, but they are let's say a team in flux. How about that? So they'd only won a single game out of their last five matchups with La Rochelle, but both sides were missing key players in the lead up to the Six Nations. So, you know, for me, it was hard to predict an outcome in this one. To be fair, however, it occurred to me as the players ran out just how much depth France has right now. Like, you you still have players like Hastoy involved, people like him and Teddy Toma. He's there. So many others. I mean, they're in such great shape headed towards their home World Cup. Another side note, I was initially surprised to see Finn Russell starting. For a second, I was like, no, Gregor, no! Before I remembered the the top 14, you know, they only release players when they damn well feel like it. So business as usual, I suppose. Anyway, Rassing, they were still having issues, it seemed, and found themselves behind at home once again, 16 to 28, to a very confident-looking La Rochelle team. (laughs) 
there was a great moment where Finn Russell was arguing a call with Ben O'Keefe, both trying to speak in French and both seemingly increasingly confused as they fumbled for the right words. You know, just gotta love it. So a scary moment entering the final quarter with Finn being unceremoniously dumped and looking worse for the wear for just a moment. But as the offending player was sent off, it was the telltale wink from Russell letting everyone know he's just fine. I mean, for now. The ensuing penalty allowed his uh, his team to retake the lead. This one was everything you could hope for. As the clock went red, it was a scrum penalty to Rassing. Winners of just one game in their last seven. And a final shot for Finn to steal a victory, cool as a cucumber. He slaughtered it in his easy style, securing a breathtaking 39-36 to triumph in Paris. God, I love that guy. Sunday. We had Toulouse versus Montpellier to finish out the round. Once again, my word, the talent depth these teams have, these teams have even with their internationals away, it's, it's a sick league in just so many ways. So no tries could be found in the first half. Definitely one for the purists, as they say, and apparently as I say too. Uh, it was 3-9 to nine going into halftime. The hosts appeared to have their first try of the match, but it was waved off. The crowd didn't know what to think. Capuazzo, he looked electric out there as always. At 55 minutes, Toulouse got a breakaway and their first lead. It was 10 to 9. What a match. Side note, I think I've said this before. I love Johnny BT on uh, on comms, but it cracks me up the way he becomes like a golf commentator. Like during half of the game, he's always like, well, they're setting up for a, a penalty kick right now. I'm like, they can't hear you. Chill. Anyway, two yellows to Montpellier played right into Toulouse's hands and with Carbonell missing two strikes in a row. That left them in a tougher spot. Speaking of Capuazzo, he zipped through for what was sure to be the capper as the comms said, quote, the Italian fullback who smiles back, unquote, which was weird, I guess. But with just a quarter hour to go, it looked over another spectacular i would say nfl style flying try came right after that he is the real deal Ange capuazzo iced the match two tries that both might make the top five highlight reel of the week seemingly out of nowhere it was a dominant home win for the league leaders 23 to 9 what a round this was so if we take a quick look at the league table We've got the aforementioned Toulouse still way on top with 54 points, eight ahead of the second place, Stade Francais, La Rochelle, and somehow Racing 92 are knotted at 42, followed by a three-way tie at 40 for Bayonne, Bordeaux, and Lyon. Montpellier have eighth place with 38. Then it's Toulon, Cast, and Clermont with 35, 32, and 31. Then Poe, Brive, and Perpignan with 27, 25, and 22, with 10 rounds to go. Sure, a lot can change, but the top end, at least, seems to be very much solidifying. Switching over to the Prem, it was round 16. We started off with Sale, hosting Bath on Friday, back in Printerland, where they'd only lost one game since last April, amazingly. They'd also beaten Bath four times in a row when we're looking to bounce back from their surprising result in the Champions Cup last weekend. Rob Prius made his 100th appearance for the Sharks in this one. And this was our intro to the new kicking shot clock, as they're calling it. Sale scored the, uh, scored the first try and were therefore the first team to experience it. And that was great, not just because of its potential to make Owen Farrell hurry the F up during Saracens games, but it also kind of makes people panic a little bit. So they... they Felt like they had to rush it. In this case, they were clearly worried about it and muffed the conversion. A new wrinkle. I like it. So this one turned into an absolute 
heartbreaker for Bath fans. Oh my gosh. Down 22 to 3, the comms reported there was a whiff of a comeback in the air. And sure enough, they came roaring back eventually, taking a late lead 25 to 27. But this is Bath we're talking about. And this is Sale we're talking about. And I mean, right, right at the very end, bang, Sharks went through for the go-ahead try and the victory. Bath fans, oh, I feel for you. That was a rough one. So Saturday kicked off with Leicester at home for the New ha- uh, the Northampton Saints, with Tigers looking to avoid a three-game losing streak in the Prem, something they haven't done since May of 2021. Uh, Saints have not been strong this year, but somehow out of the last seven visits to Welford Road, they'd come away victors four times. So right at the top, you know, they mentioned the 135 years of history for this East Midlands Derby, and it did not disappoint. A really tight, scrappy affair right from the start. Important side note, this was to be Freddie Burns' last game for Leicester as he's headed down to join my Highlanders in Super Rugby. I mean, I kind of only mention it because in my recent chat with Tom Kindly, the GM for the Free Jacks, oh, which, by the way, was fantastic. Um, even if you're not a Free Jacks fan, I I highly recommend listening to it. The guy, he's fantastic. But in that interview, I'm 90% sure that when he said, oh, there's a Freddie going to the Highlanders, I said Freddie was Freddie Stewart. And I just wanted to correct that here. Anyway, back to the game where Freddie Burns slotted a penalty to bring his Tigers back within a point in an absolute belter of a match. With maybe 12 minutes left, Burns came off the field for Leicester after 16 long years to the loudest ovation I can recall. You know, the man burst into tears as he sat down on that sideline for the very last time. What a player. What a guy. Anyway. So much drama at the end where Saints had the ball with four seconds and a stopped clock. Agent Furbank decided <laughs> decided to kick it out rather than just kind of, I, I, you know, just run backwards for four seconds and then kick it out. So as the ever-irritating Austin Healy pointed out, this gave Tigers one theoretically more chance to steal the ensuing lineout, maybe steal the game. What was he thinking? Lineout secured, however. He got away with it. And by the way, can I switch my job to one where I get paid by how many times Austin Healy says the phrase got away with it? 18 to 19 was the final score in an absolute thriller. So Saracens versus Bristol was next. It was <laughs> obviously very hard to see this one going in the way of the visitors. Saris, of course, hadn't lost it at home all year, literally, while the Bears have only won three of their last 19 away fixtures. On top of that, Saracens were 10-2 and versus Bristol over their last dozen matchups and hadn't lost to them since 2020. I mean, this one was just brutal for any remaining Bears fans out there for sure. Just another massive blow by the end, you know, with approximately 68 players missing for England camp. Saracens were ripe for the picking, and at halftime, Bristol were shutting them out. But you know the rest. We've all seen the movie too many times not to know it by heart. Series scored 20 points in the second half to Bristol's 11, giving the home team a one-point win at the Stonex Stadium. The Premiership may need to introduce a mercy rule of some kind. You know, just an absolutely brutal result for Bristol. Then, of course, Exeter versus Gloucester. That one was also on Saturday. I obviously didn't watch any of that hot garbage Final score, 24-17. Boo! London Irish were back at home for Harlequins on Sunday. Coming into it, these teams seemed on almost opposite trajectories. 
Quins were on a, a three-game skid in the Prem, while the Exiles have somehow won three in a row at what I've decided to call the Gatach Stadium. I, I still I have no idea what's up with Harlequins, but whatever it is, it's significant because they are losing games at an alarming clip and frequently to teams that should be way below them. Uh, Quins were likely worse off for Six Nations prep over London Irish, but I, you know, I can't say that I looked up the changes to be honest. So Quins looked almost happy to give away points with a red card at 23 minutes. It looked over early. Michael Dykes, it must be noted, got a hat trick on his premiership debut. Uh, what a, what a, what a day for that guy. Exiles just appeared to be piling it on at that stage at 72 minutes. It was 42 to 24. Quins were down to 13 players and that's, how the weekend would end in the premiership four lost in a row for Quinns and a palindromic loss in this case, 10 tries, two yellows and a red and a dramatic end to the round. So looking at our standings, we see Saracens, of course, on the top at 12 and one with 56 table points to blow everyone else out of the water. Sale, the only other double digit win team at 10 and three with 48 points. Then there are six, count them, six teams in the 30s in order. Exeter, Northampton, Gloucester, Harlequins, London Irish, and Leicester. The bottom of the table and out of mathematical contention even now. It's Newcastle, Bath, and, oh, oh my word, the bad news bears from Bristol with 26, 24, and 22 points respectively. Finally, we were on to the URC where it was round 13 This featured two Friday clashes, starting with Scarlets versus Bulls. This one looked like an uphill battle for the hosts. Scarlets came in 12th in both tries and total points, while the Bulls were third and second, respectively, without any hint of irony. Gareth Reese Owen, just a quick pause. At least I think that's who it was. Like, where I am, the replays I watch... They don't actually say who's on comms. You, you never get that part of the broadcast. You don't see them. There's no names listed. It's incredibly annoying. Pretty sure it was Gareth Reese Owen. Anyway, he announced that Sarah, uh, that Scarlets were lucky. They had almost no players missing for the Wales camp. Uh, so as it turned out, Scarlets actually looked really good in the early going, up 24 to 7 after, you know, maybe 25 minutes. Bulls looked confused. Naturally, they slowly brought the score closer and closer. With under 10 minutes, Scarlet's just had a two-point advantage. Quote, you've got to remind yourself they're still in the lead, unquote, said the comps. And Scarlet's seemed to become increasingly tight. And I mean, I was writing my notes and I, I almost said reckless, but I think the word is just sloppy. Um, if you're a fan of incredibly long TMO discussions, by the way, this was a fantastic game. Despite that, the call's... I don't know. They seem to become more and more erratic as the night wore on. However, after a yellow card against the Bulls, Parky Scarlets erupted as McNichol smashed one down to make it a two-score affair with less than three minutes to go. Just breathtaking stuff. So good. It looked like McNichol might get another within moments of his previous one, but he just botched it a bit. The comms said, quote, for a moment, he looked home and dry, unquote, which is clearly an expression that would only evolve in a very wet country. Uh, Calamophone had a monster game, though I'm not sure his 80 minutes would show up on the stat sheet. You know what I mean? Like he's one of those immeasurable guys, just incredible stuff by him. As the double whistle came, it was 37 to 28 for the ecstatic Scarlets fans. What a match. Ulster. Versus Stormers was the other Friday fixture, and on paper, 
These two teams were actually pretty closely matched. Though the Stormers had them creamed in offloads and clean breaks, not sure that would come up, but I do love crunching the numbers. So right off the bat, the comms said if there was going to be a shot clock, it should be for the TMO, which had me chuckling a bit. Uh, This one, it was all Ulster. And already my little, uh, well, the South African teams don't really have to rest anyone. They can bring full noise. That idea was completely shot. Uh, This side, for instance, was utterly bereft of stars and got absolutely blasted. It was 35 to 5 at the end. Weird Weekend was already shaping up nicely. Saturday began with Benetton versus Munster. And don't forget, Benetton are 6-1 at home in the URC and 2-0 at home in the Challenge Cup. So it was not going to be a gimme for Munster by any stretch, or so I hoped. The hosts came in third in turnovers one, a skill at which the visitors had proven rather poor this season. Uh, The opening made it look like I actually might know what I was talking about for a change, believe it or not. Benetton grabbing two tries before a quarter hour had even gone by. Munster appeared to have forgotten what defense was. Of course, within a minute, the guests had answered. And the comms said, this one has the makings of being an absolute cracker for the neutrals. (laughs) Guess that's me. Uh, Munster weathered several weird substitutions and stole away the lead. But at halftime, the hosts were up 15 to 14. With a quarter hour to go, it was very much in the balance, though Munster clung to a small lead. Really exciting match this one. Antoine Frisch got a lovely try in the corner to put it away, and I think Munster should feel really good about a win like this one, 30-40 to 40, all told. Dragons versus Glasgow was next in the list. Glasgow had been on a bit of a tear until their last uh, until their draw last weekend. Uh, dr- the Dragons' scrum success rate has been an absolute Achilles heel for them this season. Just, you know, 77% placing them at the very bottom. Uh, they'd also scored the second fewest tries in the URC, while Glasgow were ranked sixth, with Cancellieri nabbing six of those on his own. Warriors, up a player, scored their fourth try right at halftime to gain a bonus point before the whistle had even sounded and to double up their hosts. Side note, Frank Murphy doesn't just go to the TMO occasionally. He, like, binge watches it. Like, he should get a, a shirt that says TMO and chill or something. In any case, Dragons fought their way to within two scores laid on, you know, but with the intercept that followed the comps proclaimed, the Dragons can wave goodbye to the game, to the match, and to Sebastian Cancellieri. <laughs> More on him later for sure. At the end, Glasgow had another strong win, taking out the hapless Dragons at Rodney Parade 28-42 and extending their unbeaten streak to 9. Leinster versus Cardiff, uh, Cardiff was up next and... Hmm? Huh? What? Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, um, Leinster, they won. Can you believe it? They won. 38 to 14, including a classic insult to injury try right at minute 82. Even before this match, Leinster were ranked first in tries, overall scoring, and tackle success. So coming or going, they got you covered. Side note, uh, did I know there was a Leinster mascot called Leo the Lion? Because I don't think I did. Today, he had a drum with him, and I, I swear... One of y'all needs to start a rugby mascot podcast. I would be the first subscriber. Help me out. So then a a somewhat slumping Edinburgh. They were back home at the goddamn health to welcome the Sharks. I was pretty nervous on on behalf of Edinburgh, dealing with injuries as well as absent players for the Scotland camp, with about half of last week's starters unavailable, while Sharks had swapped out just Five. So going in Edinburgh, they were in eighth place by a single point over this very team. 
So there were serious implications as we kicked off. The home team didn't look great starting out, coughing up two quick tries and getting yellow carded. Meanwhile, their lineout was just a mess. They were they were so careless with the ball. It was crazy. On the on the bright side, Immelman, he's become quite a player for them. I feel like I'm seeing him get better and better every single week. Of course, side note, after I wrote this and uh, you know saw this this whole weekend, I learned he's leaving. So, uh. so just a couple minutes before halftime, McBurney smashed one through to get a brace and tie things up. Great stuff from him tonight. Then. Bang, bang, as if listening to me, it was Immelman into the corner and the hosts had their first lead of the night. Henry Pergos was spotted helping out on the sidelines, but at the 60-minute mark, he, he just started sort of packing up equipment, thinking that the game was over. Sorry, that was a little mean. So, you know, don't like complaining about the officiating, but I started to feel like I was going completely bonkers. It was like the main ref and I were watching two completely different games. Um, I guess the bizarro calls were pretty equally distributed however so i mean who knows with this stuff it was a tight one for sure sharks down a player but holding a three-point lead as the clock wound down charlie shield a player i am not going to pretend i'm overly familiar with he was a real firecracker in this one that that guy has some serious pace uh with the clock gone red edinburgh put it into the corner for one final shot the clock already at 84 minutes oh my word what an ending the home team had multiple chances to take three and escape with a draw i have to say i'll tell you right now i liked the fact that they recognized the gravity of this moment and went for the win as well as a bonus point but uh, at 87 minutes they knocked it on stunning the crowd and ending the game sharks over the moon absolute stomach punch loss for edinburgh going down 19 to 22 at home ouch dude so then my guys from connect they were at home at the sports ground to host the lions one good thing about being a Connick supporter is you don't have to worry about too many players being scooped up for the Ireland squad. Uh, Bernard Jackman was back on comms for this one again. He's so good. I have to find a, you know some sort of time to get him back on the show. Uh, he and the other comms described the evening as relatively calm for Galway. And the home team were up 15-10 to 10 after just a quarter of an hour. Uh, Jack Cardi would surp- uh, surpass the all-time points scoring record for Connacht. And they'd already nabbed a try bonus point as they headed to the lockers, 29 to 17 at that point. The second half, it it, it was the all-connect show. Kalen Blade getting his hat-trick score just as we entered the final quarter of play. And by the way, is there a better name in the world than Kalen Blade? Like he and Finian Witcherly could be characters in a Neil Gaiman book or something. And by the way, I often worry about this here. I wanted to make sure that I had that name right. They always say Finian, Finian Witcherly. So I looked it up to see if I had it right. It's spelled Finian. I'm guessing those two E's. It makes Finian. Anyway, if I botched that, I'm sorry. I live on the wrong side of the pond. So that score made it an eye-popping 43-17. to It was a huge win, 43-24 to by the very end. And then Sunday, in opposite style to the top 14, we had Zebre hosting Ospreys. As it turned out, friend of the pod, Philip Atudiot, was on comms for this one. That immediately made the match more compelling. Ospreys got con- uh, two converted tries early on, but sure enough, Zebre came back and led at the break 19-14. to Would this be the day? When Stephen Myler came on, he just calmed everything down. Basically, just took control, and a 10-point lead was suddenly three after his conversion with 15 minutes remaining. 
As Prince once said, the sky was all purple. There was people running everywhere. And led by Myler, Ospreys clamped down and methodically churned out a 24-28 victory over forlorn and forsaken Zebre. Oh, my word. At 81 minutes, it was the host with the line out inside Ospreys 22. And somehow, they muffed it. They couldn't hold on to their own ball and stood bewildered at the double whistle, 24 to 28. Ooh, what a rough one. Holy crap. So, of course, we we just look, uh, you know took a quick look at the tables for the other two competitions, but the URC is still skewed due to some fixtures still to be made up. We'll talk about that in our updates and preview section. Um, and after the end of February, we'll be able to look at it in a more sort of meaningful way. So despite all its quirks and warts, yeah, I gotta say, the URC, it's quietly becoming my favorite non-super rugby competition. Love it! Well, by the music, you'll know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Sebastian Cancellari. Mr. Cancellari, you have been absolutely tearing it up for Glasgow this year, second in the URC with tries. When you arrived, I heard you were coming from Jaguares, but nobody seemed to mention that you previously spent nine years with the amateur Hindu club, one of the most successful clubs in Argentina, winning 21 titles since just 1996. Incredible! Tonight, your scoring helps send your team to yet another Big win, drawing oohs and ahs from fans and commentators alike. Sebastian Cancellari, congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well done, sir. So, that of course brings us to our updates and previews and Six Nations! That's right! This coming weekend, it's round one of the 2023 Men's Six Nations Tournament. I am totally psyched. This year, we start off with Wales versus Ireland at the Principality Stadium in Cardiff, followed by England versus Scotland at Twickenham. Both those fixtures are on Saturday, with Italy hosting France at the Stade Olimpico on Sunday. Also, lest we forget, there is a makeup URC match this weekend as well, with the Sharks hosting the Stormers on Friday, where I am. That's going to be a nice little noontime treat. Um, there are, of course, three total games that also need to be made up in the URC, so, or uh, total need to be made up. So February 3rd, that's Friday. Well, that'll take care of one of them. And then, unfortunately, and against what they promised, the other two will be made up during a Six Nations weekend. So February 25th, we'll again have the Sharks, this time hosting Ulster. And the Lions will be home for Glasgow. Not ideal by any stretch, but at least after that, the table will have come level. Last second update. Literally just prior to my recording this, I impulsively double-checked and found, much to my surprise, the top 14 is going full noise on round 17 this coming weekend. I'm amazed they would continue the domestic competition while the international action is afoot. But as I keep learning, the top 14 is not your average league. We will be sure to check in with that on next week's show. What a weekend. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. I am properly 
keyed up for Six Nation to kick off. Also, as mentioned, this was the week featuring the introduction of the shot clock for kickers. Almost every game got reactions to this from the comms. We had a few, oh, I don't see why this is necessary kind of comments. We had many, they should put a timer on the TMO type cracks. And then, of course, many, maybe we should go to 30 seconds. That would light a fire comments. So great stuff all around. So, as always, thanks again for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And of course, be well.